Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Good to see you. Don't get nervous. We're not starting a new trend here, okay? Uh, I, am, uh, I was privileged uh, this morning to be invited to speak at the 15th anniversary of Pastor H.B. Charles down at Shiloh Church. So I just preached in Orange Park. And uh, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to downtown and preaching again. So it's a busy morning. And, but hey, we made it. All things worked out great. And give it up for Heath, my driver, man. I'm telling you, I won't, um, I won't even tell you how, f- never mind, never mind. We're in Revelation 9. I remember very vividly the first time I processed how much of a grip sin can have on someone's life. I was in middle school. Our two local middle schools had just consolidated into one school. And so my ninth grade year, we had a bunch of brand new kids at school. And of course, our formal rivalries, former rivalries with uh, different, that other school became our teammates. So I had a friend named Brian also. Brian was from the other school. Brian played football on our team, and we quickly became friends. The first time uh, that I went to hang out with Brian at his house, I was introduced to his parents. Two things stood out to me that day. One, his parents were significantly older from my frame of reference. Brian was the youngest of five children, and all of his brothers and sisters were significantly older than him. In fact, it was the first time I remember being able to, uh, meeting someone that had nephews and nieces older than them. So I thought that was unusual. Uh, Then, the other thing that really caught my attention was that Brian's father was dying of alcohol abuse. Uh, He had cirrhosis of the liver. He was now at this point, moment, uh, months, excuse me, from dying. He died somewhere along the line of my high school years. But I remember Brian uh, meeting his dad. His dad was drunk all the time. His dad was drunk the first time I met him. His dad stayed drunk every day of his life, every waking moment of his life, and died a drunk. He told me, Brian told me later that it was a few years back, his doctors warned him of this. and said, man, you are going to die if you keep drinking like this. And that grip of sin never let that man go it literally drug him to death on a more personal level i've got a cousin younger than me who right here and right now today is an alcoholic of the same nature he's been hospitalized multiple times he's in his 30s he's also been told by doctors if you do not stop drinking you will die and drinking on he goes now you may be tempted to think that this sermon is about alcohol it is not you may be tempted to think that I'm going to cover this subject of drug abuse and alcohol abuse with psychological robes and I'm not this sermon is not about psychology this sermon is not even about alcohol this sermon is about sin And sin has a grip on people. And what you just read 
a few moments ago was one of the most brazen and bold statements of the sin of mankind to be found anywhere in the Bible. We are well into the tribulation period in the book of Revelation. We have seen catastrophic seal judgments as God unraveled the, the, the scroll which contained in the scroll the judgments of God on the end of the earth. When the seventh seal was open, trumpets began to blow by angels standing by. Each time a trumpet sounded, a more severe judgment is poured out upon the earth. Last Sunday, we looked at the fact that the first four trumpets would be blown, and there was uh, uh, judgment on the earth. Remember, judgment came on the sea, judgment came on the freshwater, judgment came uh, on the heavens, and judgment came on the vegetation. But in Revelation chapter number 9, we are going to see the fifth and sixth trumpets. And the fifth and sixth trumpets are no longer judgments on earth because of mankind. The fifth and sixth trumpets are judgments directly on mankind for his sin against God. Now folks, it hastens for me to remind you this morning that there is a judgment day coming. The Bible clearly says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27, it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. And any judgment that takes place on this earth is just a small picture of the ultimate judgment that will come one day when God ultimately judges mankind for his or her sin. Now we know that. But man, when you read Revelation chapter 5 and 6, here's basically what happens. The fifth trumpet blows, and there is an enormous, demonic, possessed locust swarm. You read it, and so did I. And that locust uh, storm is literally going to inflict pain on humans so severe that they will desire to die, and they can't. Then the sixth trumpet's going to blow. And God is going to raise up from the east side of the Euphrates River a demonically possessed army of 200 million soldiers. And they are going to march on Israel and begin to wipe out one-third of the earth's population. And then you come to the end of the chapter, folks, and what is shocking is that those who are left, those who have seen this, those people who just witnessed all this happen at the finger of God still refuse to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a shame? My question for you this morning is what has God been trying to do in your life to get your attention and what is holding you back this morning from believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now that is something that we all should consider this morning. There are times, are there not, where there are things that will happen, there are circumstances that will occur personally, uh, professionally, familially, in our lives, right here and right now. And those at times, God is using those circumstances in order to draw us in some way to himself. And that's exactly what God was doing here. God is bringing these judgments as he promised he would. And, and, and some people were actually spared the judgments and still... They did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather clung to the sin that they loved. So 
So let me walk you through this text real quick, and I want you to see a few truths here from the fifth and the sixth trumpet during the tribulation period. Number one, I want you to see that sometimes Christ will use pain in our lives to bring us to himself. In verses 1 through 12, you see the locust plague. Look again, verse number 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Now watch this. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now you notice the difference between the star in chapter 9 and the stars or the objects in chapter number 8. In chapter number 8, we, we saw that these are physical, actual stars, meteorites of some sort. But then in chapter number 9, whatever this star is, is a star that is given a key to a bottomless pit. So this star is personified. At the end of the chapter, this star is identified. In fact, look if you will, verse 11. And they had, speaking of the uh, uh, locust, a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, his name is Apollyon. Now, who is this star, folks? Folks, the star is none other than the devil himself. That's who the star is. Satan is going to be granted authority in Revelation chapter number 9 to literally wreak havoc amongst men. And I just want to say this to you. First of all, in verse number 1, it says he was given a key. In chapter uh, number uh, 9 and verse 15, it says he was given the authority to destroy a third of mankind. And in the same verse, it says he was given that authority for a season of five months. Now, you may not see what I'm seeing there, but I always want to tell you, the devil is still under a leash from Almighty God. And although he's given amazing power and amazing authority to do things that are unspeakable and unbelievable... Folks, that power and authority is granted to him from God. Never forget this. Satan is not on the throne. God is always on the throne. But he is going to be used. He's going to be permitted, if you will, to allow this to occur. Luke chapter 10, verse 18 says, And, and Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that we'll see in a few weeks, says, And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. You say, what in the world does the word Apollyon and Abaddon, what do those words mean? Those words literally mean, in their respective languages, the destroyer. Folks, so I need to remind anybody in this room of these things this morning. Satan is real. Satan absolutely hates you because you are made in the image of God. And Satan will do absolutely anything in his power to destroy everything about your life. The Bible says the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the very fact of the matter is today, he has no room in this place. He has no room in your home. Come on. He has no room over your family, over your life, unless you give it to him. And if you give it to him... He will destroy your life. In this case, he will do it through a locust plague, verses 3 and 4. It says in verse number 3, Then out of the smoke from the bottomless pit came locusts upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now watch this, verse 4. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree. Now let me stop there. Uh, that's what locusts normally do. Locusts normally destroy grass and trees and vegetation. 
But these are not normal locuses, and these locuses are not performing normal actions. These locusts, watch this, are released from the bottomless pit. Now you say, what in the world is the bottomless pit? The bottomless pit is referenced at least four times in the book of Revelation, and it is always, in every case, a reference to a place where demonic hordes are locked up in prison until God says it's okay for them to come out. Remember when, uh, remember when Satan, uh, excuse me, the demons in, in uh, Luke, uh, Mark chapter number 5, when, uh, when he cast them out of, of, the, of the, the man that was possessed by the devils, and, and he says, uh, is this our time? Meaning, is this our time to be banned, to be judged? Uh, and, then, and then what does Christ do? He sends them into the herd of pigs, and they fall over the cliff, always looking for someone to dwell. So, so these, 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 this, this bottomless pit is a place that, that where Satan and his demons are sent to suffer and be isolated. But at least three times in the book of Revelation, they are released. One of those times is, of course, after the millennial kingdom in the final rebellion. But here, the Bible says that these, th this, this bottomless pit is open and locusts swarm out of this looking like smoke, acting like scorpions. And watch this, verse 5. And they were not given authority to kill man, but torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death, and they will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. What is this plague? It is a plague of pain. Demonic, embodied locusts are going to inflict physical pain on the people of this earth. Such extraordinary pain that it's likened to a scorpion. Now, I don't know if anybody in this room has ever been stung by a scorpion. I have not. I have seen scorpion in the wild, and I do what any normal human would do when you see a scorpion in the wild. You scream and run. That's what you do. I've seen them in Texas. They're crazy looking. And they are wild. In fact, their, their coloring is almost, uh, what's that? Is that opaque? Is that the word? It's almost, it's almost clear. You can hardly see them. They're very, very hard to find. But when you see one, you don't pet them. You don't play with them. You run, okay? Scorpion. So, so, so the, the infliction of the pain is like, it says, scorpion, a sting of a scorpion. And it's so severe, of course, that these people are desiring death, but they cannot die. Now, that is a very, very tough place to be. I've met people who were in pain who wish they could die. Maybe you have too. Maybe some of you in the medical profession have seen this kind of thing happen where people are so grieved, they're so hurt, their bodies are so broken, they look for a way out. That's what's going to happen here. And Christ is allowing this pain to be inflicted. Let me say this to you today. Physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental pain will either push you to God or it will push you away from God. I read a story this week of a young man by the name of John Green who was out of high school set to enter into ministry. A part of his ministry training pre-seminary was to go work as a volunteer chaplain at a children's hospital. In this particular children's hospital, he was one night standing around with little to do when all of a sudden in the emergency room popped in a family with their three-year-old baby boy who had literally suffered from, from severe burns from head to toe. Standing in absolute shock, this 19 or 20-year-old young man could not believe the sights, the screams, and the smells that were coming from this situation. The doctors were feverishly working on this little boy to try to save his life. 
the parents are, as you can imagine, beside themselves, screaming in agony and longing to get to their kid, but they can't. So they sent them to the waiting room where the would-be chaplain goes and tries to be of some comfort. All he can do is say, can I pray for you? To which the parents angrily answered, no. He left the room to give them their space and walked to a break room where the doctor that was working on the baby walked out of the room, walked into the break room, and began to throw up in the trash can because of everything that she had just seen. And this man is literally swirling with emotions and feelings, thinking to himself, how on earth am I supposed to help people? And how on earth is God in the middle of all this? And this caused him to withdraw his application from seminary and ultimately withdraw his application from God altogether. For years and years and years, this man lived on the premise, there cannot be a God. I don't know that I believe in God, but he said, I quote, I do believe in mercy, and there's no mercy to be found here. 20 years later on a whim, this man decided, John, the man who walked away from God, to Google the story, thinking the boy died that night, only to find out his story lived on, and the little boy actually did not die. The boy lived, and later on, the boy became a follower of Jesus Christ. His parents, that didn't want anything to do with God, became followers of Jesus Christ, and John reached out to the boy to tell him his story, and the boy urged John to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because he was altogether real. Folks, I'm telling you, there was a one conflict, there was one pain, one problem in that room, and two people handled their pain in two entirely different ways. One came to God and one went away from God. And that's the choice that you have this morning. Do you run to God in your pain? Do you run to God with your problems? Or do you run away from him? Christ will use pain. Number two, Christ will use loss. Beginning in verse number 13, the sixth trumpet sounds. And the Bible says, with the sixth trumpet, verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the horns of the golden altars, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates was a natural border on the eastern edge of Israel. It became a border between, even now, uh, kind of modern-day Israel and all of the countries of what we would call the Far East. When you read in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther about being beyond the river, this is the river they're talking about. A natural river. Everything to Israel beyond that river was bad. And the Bible here says that God had, again, once again, had demons locked up in a place called this river. And now he's going to, through the sixth trumpet, release them. And they are going to lead an army that, it, when you add it all up, is 200 million men from the east are going to come into the west, which, it, which would be Israel in, in the context of scripture here. And the Bible says they're going to kill, uh, verse number 15, a third of mankind. That's the third of mankind that's still left after the other third was gone. Some Bible scholars estimate that at this point, at this point, listen guys, at this point in the tribulation, half the world has died. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and I saw the horses in the vision. These men are riding horses, 
and these horses, look at this. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like. Notice how many times the phrase like is used in this chapter. You say, what does that mean? Remember, uh, oftentimes in Bible prophecies, there will be similes and metaphors. One easy way to identify a simile or a metaphor in Scripture is with the obvious word like or as. And all throughout this chapter, we see this phrase as or like. There's two ways to interpret this. Number one, these are things that John had never seen before that John cannot describe because he doesn't have words. So he says, it's like a locust or it's like some dude riding a horse with a tail on one side shooting people and and a head blowing out smoke out of the other end. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Now, it's not crazy if you live today. Because it would be easy for you to understand somebody that lived 2,000 years ago could never explain a tank, could never explain a helicopter, could never explain a nuclear explosion, could never explain gases and smokes and fire destroying people's lives. But when you turn on the news today, you can see it happening every day of the week. Now, whether that is what John is talking about or whether this is actually simply a demonic horde is really immaterial to the, to the, to the actual application today. The application is this. Christ inflicted pain, and then Christ allowed one-third of the world's population to die during this plague, and that is what he's using to try to get people's attention. Now, folks, listen. There's no doubt every one of you have been at, at the loss of someone before. You stood at a casket prematurely. You stood at a casket, wept tears. You've been there. You've had people take away from, uh, taken away from your life before. You've had loss. Everybody's had loss. Everybody. Again, I ask the question, what do you do with your loss? Do you let it push you to God, or do you make it pull you away from God? And I'm going to bring this, conclu- this sermon to a conclusion by showing you verse 20 and 21, which I believe is the actual point of this whole chapter. Now look at verse number 20. The Bible says in verse number 20, but the rest of mankind, watch this, those who were not affected by this loss were not, who were not killed by these plagues, here it is, did not repent of the work of their hands. Now here's why, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, or wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Isn't that absolutely extraordinary? After everything that's happened, man still will not repent. Why? Because he's hanging on to his idols and to his sin. And church, I want to tell you, one thing that will keep you back from God is your own idols and your own sin. Now notice this. I don't know if you caught this. They worship the demons. Isn't that amazing? It was the demons that were destroying. Watch it. Hold. Follow me. Hold. Hey. Come on, guys. You got to catch this. What I'm getting ready to say right now may be the most important thing I'm going to say in this entire sermon. So please listen very carefully. The thing they worshipped was the very thing that was destroying their lives. It was the demons in the locusts. It was the demons uh, running the plagues. It was the demons uh, inspiring the armies. And they still were. Isn't it tragic and sad to watch people worship and bow down to and love and follow and sacrifice to the very things that are destroying their lives? 
God, help us today to run from our sin, to turn from our sin, to repent of our sin. Folks, he starts naming stuff. You're like, oh, no. The preacher starts naming stuff. He does. He names five things. He names five sins that have a tight grip on people. Don't worry, I'm almost done. Number one, he says, idolatry has a tight grip. Idolatry, what is an idol? An idol is anything that you worship more than you worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't the Bible say, thou shalt have no other gods before me? It might be money. It might be relationships. It might be sports. There could be a billion things that it could be. But things that we put in front of God are called idols. And men will literally follow their idols to their spiritual death. How about this? Murder. Murder has a tight grip. Have you noticed how much murder, hatred, anger, and animosity is living in our world today? People are being mowed down in the streets of our cities. People's lives are being taken absolutely aimlessly. It is, it is crazy the disregard for human life that exists in our world. Starting with babies. Somebody better help me up here. I'm talking about starting with the murder of babies inside of their mother's womb. Senseless, needless wildness on, the, on behalf of mankind. It is absolutely insanity that we butcher our own babies. And then the senseless anger, hatred, and cold murder that we see in our streets today. It's no wonder they hung to their murders. Then look at this. I want to say this. Drugs have a tight grip. Now, I want you to see this. Interesting. Look at the word here, verse 21. Their murders or their sorceries. You know what this word is in Greek? This is super interesting. This word in Greek is pharmakia. Pharmacy. What do you get at a pharmacy? Drugs. Now, the word pharmakia in Greek is not talking about Tylenol for your head. It's talking about illicit, mind-altering drugs that often lead people into, quote-unquote, religious-type experiences or beliefs. It is well understood that alcohol has been called spirits for years. Have you ever noticed that? Why is alcohol called spirits? It's a drug. It alters people's minds. Some of you don't like that. That's okay. I'm preaching today. We're going to be okay. We'll get out of here in just a minute. It's a drug. And all sorts of drugs and, and, that people take and literally their lives are consumed. Have you noticed how many people's lives are being destroyed today by drugs? Have you seen anything on the news recently? Streets that once were populated with, with, with businesses and all sorts of things are now literally covered up with people that don't even have homes because they've sold their homes, they've sold their families, they've sold their lives, they've sold their stuff so that they can continue to use drugs? We worship drugs. Sexual immorality which is the word porneia in Greek, which means, which means the most general term for sexual activity. It's not a reference specifically to adultery. It's broad. It's everything. It's pornography. It is, it is, it is homosexuality. It is, it, is, it is transgender. It's all of that. Any kind of sexual perversion, people will run to it and cling to it and hold on to it. And finally, look at this. He says this, and their thefts. I like what one commentator said. He said, I see here a much broader problem of 
dishonesty. I have talked to my wife so much about this recently. It, it, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're in church or outside the church. I simply cannot believe how people just can't tell the truth. You just can't be honest. Lord, help us. What is thievery? It's absolute dishonesty. Taking from someone else what is rightfully theirs and calling it your own. That is dishonesty and that is despicable. We are living in a world where truth has fallen in the streets, people. There is no truth anymore. Nobody believes the truth anymore. And it should, should this not be so obvious? Look, do you not imagine what's going to happen when we rapture out of here soon, very soon, and all the crazy lies the world's going to have to make up to, to explain what just happened? And people will believe it so fast because we live in a world of deception. And here's what God is calling us to. God is calling us to repentance I'm so thankful just last month on Instagram, there was a video emerge of Kat Von D getting baptized. Now, for those of you that do not know who Kat Von D is, she is a celebrity tattoo artist. She, is, she was on LA Inc. for a number of seasons and recently moved her family out to Indiana. There in Indiana, after wrestling from COVID with the face, she, she, she started going back to her roots. She was actually born in Mexico in a missionary family's home and went, moved out to Los Angeles, turned to the occult. Turned to witchcraft, sorcery, evil. Literally, before she posted her baptism video, she posted uh, videos of her books about witchcraft and occultism and, and how she got them out of her home because they no longer represented her life and no longer represented who she is. And then she proudly was baptized in a Baptist church in Indiana, professing her faith in Jesus Christ. And would you believe this right now? The woman is literally... Black inking herself completely, covering up all the demonic and evil tattoos on her body. It is extraordinary. And some of you think it's extreme. What it actually is, is extraordinary. It's actually what we call repentance. It's what happens when people turn to Jesus. And look, I've heard of all sorts of celebrities talking about finding God and, and people like Michael Vick finding God because they got, done, got in trouble with the law. I'm not here talking about you know Snoop Dogg who said he became a Muslim and a Christian, which is impossible. I'm talking about somebody coming to Jesus Christ and giving up their sin and, come on, and walking away from a lifestyle that dishonors God because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what God is calling you to today. Would you turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. As we're bowed before the Lord... I want to encourage you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life today, that you'd open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life. I wonder if there's anybody here today who would say, Preacher, I do not know Jesus as my Savior right now. I do not know, but I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know what it means to be saved. Could I pray for you if that's you? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anybody like that? Preacher, that's me. I do not know Jesus. God bless you. I do not know him as my Savior, but I want to know who he is. I want to know what it means to be born again. I want to know what it means to follow him. Praise God for his work. I want to invite you to stand as we conclude this service with a time of worship. And I want to invite you, there's some folks that will be back here at this Next Steps booth in the back of the auditorium. If you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, 
or you have any spiritual questions, steps you need to take, I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to meet our friends in the back so we can show you who Jesus is and show you how you can follow him. May God bless you as we sing this morning.